everybody. This is Jen Kleinhens. And I'm Rob Vose. And you're listening to another episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand, a podcast where we talk about our thoughts and opinions on marketing, from customer experience to brand, and everything in between. Join us today as we talk to Richard Boone, Managing Director of Print Management and Marketing Agency, Webmart. So when we sort of think about uh, guests for this show, when we try and get people on who we, who Kind of, kind of have two elements. One, they've got to have an interesting story to tell. Uh, and secondly, they've got to bring a sort of depth of knowledge in an area where Jen and I maybe have some, but but don't have as have as much. So when we got the chance to chat to someone who's a uh, managing director for a, a sort of print management uh, company, uh, which I think is print is something that I think we Jen and I have talked about in podcasts. I think that's a little bit overlooked recently. Um, but also his company is driven by this concept of Marxist capitalism, which we'll get to later. And we figured it'd be great value uh, to get them on the podcast. So I would like to welcome to the podcast, Richard Boone, who is Managing Director of Webmart. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this very cold winter's uh, day. I swear it's been night all day. I haven't actually... <laughs> I'm not sure the sun has risen once. Well, look, so what we do at the beginning of these interviews um, is we kind of do a, a sort of credibility part, which is why should people, uh, again, it sounds so blunt when I say it like this, so I apologize. Why do people, should people care about what you think? And I think what's interesting in this case is our podcast, 38% of, of our podcast downloads come from the UK, but 62% come from the rest of the world. So um, if you could introduce yourself and what it is you do and what Webmart do, uh, that would be really helpful. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, I kind of hate labels, but I guess you could say I'm a millennial uh, that is uh, bucking the trend almost that uh, I know we talk about quite often with millennials, uh, bouncing between jobs and things like that. Um, I started uh, around 17, 18, quite early in um, through entrepreneurship with a mentor. Um, through yeah. pitching a business idea uh, and I've been at the company 14 years um, so very much bucking the kind of millennial trends yeah. there um, working alongside global brands retail e-commerce charity sort of gaming sectors um, mm-hmm. working my way up to managing director at the age of 31 and yeah oh, just... depressing <laughs> <laughs> so it's a 43 year old male in the building yeah that's hugely impressive uh, thank you um but yeah, it's obviously been, a, um, it's all sort of, again, like I said, a bit more like with COVID this year, everything sort of blurred into one. My whole career seems to feel like that. Um, and yeah, I've seen overseen the sort of evolution from sort of the print management aspects to mm-hmm. kind of more integrated agency and also watched quite a lot of long standing uh, clients uh, change and evolve through that time as well. Um, ah, good stuff. Yeah. And you're based in uh, just in Oxford, not primarily, you're not? Yeah, Oxfordshire. Um, but we're, yeah, uh, I've, been, I've sort of bounced between London and, and other areas as well. Good stuff. Well, look, it's, um, we kind of talked about th- sort of three different areas we want to, we want to cover off. And I think, I think one of the things you talked about, obviously you are one of the kind of strings to the bow of Webmart is print and print management alongside other things. And we'll get to the kind of evolution of Webmart and where it's headed um, a little bit later on. But I think print is an, in an interesting place at the moment whether it's direct marketing or retail or whatever it is and 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 covid obviously has had a huge a huge uh impact on that so sort of structurally over the last last few years has been quite a an increase in digital alternatives where print held sway you know email social outdoor you know even digital indoor signage uh in stores and, and retail and all that kind of stuff if you were to try and sort of pitch to somebody 
the value of print. Um, and I appreciate that kind of covers quite a few different areas there. Um, what do you see as the role and value as kind of print marketing uh, as an alternative to the sort of where digital's kind of uh, has, has been taking us recently? Uh, I think that's the thing. It's very much it's an alternative. I mean, um, mm -hmm. what was predominantly the the main channel for for reaching people. Uh, obviously, I've seen the the rise of digital over the years and, and the nature of print changing in its role. Um, and it's very much, I guess, lost its sort of identity in the marketing mix. I would say, and I would mm -hmm. say that. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, all these things, it comes down to balance. And I think that the sort of knowledge and education uh, and the, the purpose of, of sort of print and physical marketing in store at home at events ha has changed dramatically. Um, mm. But I would say uh, forgetting it in, in the mix, uh, it, it just seems like it's a, a wasted opportunity when it comes to getting the most out of the ecosystems people have got digitally, um, mm. a physical touch point in this day and age. I think is really important to combine with the digital ecosystems that people people are so gotcha. good at. Interesting. And so, is it is it is there are there kind of other misconceptions about print that have that 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 you think that people have? Like, are they do they think it's going to cost way more than it's going to, or are there limitations or something? So, you know, what is it that's, that's driven that? shift from digital to print is it purely just a cost thing or what, what do you, what's your yeah i mean how long have you got i mean mis <laughs> misconceptions <laughs> <minutes>. print. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah there's, there's quite a number really i mean you know cost roi speed mm -hmm. flexibility um environmental you know there's some huge misconceptions when it comes to physical marketing um i mean just to give you yeah a few sound bites on that i mean yeah, obviously definitely. You know, the purpose has evolved and I think people have kind of left it behind almost. And, um, uh, you know, that, that loss of physical touch point means that it's looked at in isolation. And and actually, you know, it's all like Mark Richardson said, right? It's all marketing. Um, and, and oh, I think, a fellow Ritsonite, as, as I've described this, the church <laughs> of the Ritson. Yes. Yes. And I, I was um, running the event actually with Mark Ritson in the BFI IMAX um, when he when he gave the speech for the first time and he was talking about um, you know the 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 rise of people using you know the D word in their their job title with digital yeah. and, and I think it's become this kind of battleground be between sort of like online versus offline and actually the way I see it you know if you look at uh, the use of print holistically the ROI is there I mean we've seen even through recent data through Jickmail that you know more people are using print to get people to drive them to their e-commerce offering. Mm -hmm. And and I think if you just look at it in isolation, sure, it could look expensive, but also as part of the mix, you get so much more out yeah. of the whole ecosystem. Um, and I think there's a few there's a few things, you know, when you research, and I've obviously you know, used print for a while, but, but also researched in this kind of area, there's a few things that kind of make it, make it stand out as a tool that's available at least to experiment with. You know, rather than just writing off completely. So, you know, we know there are many, many studies that show that comprehension is 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 better off a written page than it is or printed page than it is off a screen. Um, it hangs around in the house longer. Um, and you know, there's another one: that consumers aged 45 to 54 are the demographic most likely to respond to direct mail. And as we talked about, Jen and I talked about in a podcast, uh, maybe three or four podcasts ago, about age in marketing. Mm. Everyone's obsessed with. Youth, millennials, people like you, <laughs> but uh, but but really, the ones with all the money, you know, forty five, fifty five, sixty five plus. So I think it's got some. 
attributes that make it at least worth, as you said, testing as a tactic, as a tool to see what it can do. Sure. And I think there's there's a lot of evidence around the sort of cut through, even even to a younger de- demographic. I mean, let's yes. face it, not, you know, uh, I think you said in one of your previous um, podcasts, you know, you aren't your customer and mm-hmm. consumption of, of media is different based on age groups. But there's a lot of data to suggest that younger people are very receptive because let's face it, how many people are writing and and, and communicating uh, with uh, mm-hmm. millennials and, and other, other generations using this medium? And I think that actually, because it's so rare, it has such giant cut through to drive you to you know their digital e-commerce ecosystem so yeah yeah uh, i think there's there, i was reading i'm a lefty guardian reader and um there's some really interesting articles where there's some contradictions in in it so so both recently argos and ikea have yes. decided not to print catalogs anymore Yes, this, this week think, almost, I think it was the news again. Yeah, IKEA was just speaking, yeah. Argos was earlier in the year, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. But what's also really interesting is there was another article in The Guardian, and I'll post all these in the show notes for people who are interested, um, where it talks about the idea that because of COVID and because of lockdown, print has increased. So Beth Busterwick, who is the boss of Jigsaw, mm. said the fashion chain has sent more catalogues this winter after getting a surprisingly strong response to its usual mail. Actually, she's quoted as saying, it's a brilliant way of keeping a brand front of mind during lockdown. On average, people will spend three or six minutes on a website, but a catalogue of direct mail can lie on a coffee table for a month to six weeks. Have you seen a change since lockdown in terms of your business and what you've seen coming through? Oh, massively, yeah. And it's been great for us because it's opened up far more conversations with brands exploring it as, as, a, as a method. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, the interesting thing is that, you know, uh, human psychology side of things is that humans don't change very quickly and so from a habits perspective if you're reaching out to them using um you know a catalog or 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 something to browse um that's still going to be used especially you know whilst everyone's at home and i think that consumer shopping habits have changed quite dramatically um Mm. you know i've seen the rise of you know from from the high street to um you know e-commerce brands that 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 don't have shops or there's click and collect and i think that actually Mm. reaching people using print at home you've got a captive audience currently this year um and certainly with more people browsing before making the purchase online um we've seen a massive amount of brands reaching out using uh catalogs i mean obviously the the 700 page you know giant sort of uh yellow pages mm. we have over here in the uk um yeah. you know the the, de- the death of those kind of size publications ha- you know that, that that's gone um but i think that the rise of smaller more relevant targeted messages um that's what we've seen this year um from our perspective what i thought was also interesting was that argos chose to do a printed gift guide yes uh, and i believe didn't they feature it in their tv ads as well it's all built around yeah yeah it's what the TV ad is completely is it's a couple of circling the gifts that kids want and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Which is interesting because, you know, when I was a kid and they, they have discontinued this, but in the U S we have the Sears catalog, which I think is a lot like that Mm -hmm. where it's a big thick catalog and you would go through it every Christmas and you would circle things and you could like leave notes and do things. And it's really interesting. We talk about sort of the psychology of print because in some ways, because it's a more tactile medium, I think for things like clothes for Christmas shopping, I think you're really right. There's there's some kind of connection. And I, I don't know if there's a study that maybe proves this out that, you know, obviously like engagement's higher as as we were just kind of citing earlier with something like a print catalog. But, you know, it's it's a longer engagement. And I think in some ways it's a more memorable, like more emotional engagement mm-hmm. with the products, with the brand in a way that it's really it's hard to duplicate in a digital channel. 
Oh, I, totally. I would agree yeah. with that. Because I think there's an element of there's a there's a tactility that you don't get. There's a smell sometimes, you know, that you that you know, there's there's more. It's using more of your senses and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? Rather than yeah, and you think a, you think about how much money's invested in in trying to get cut through using digital fighting for that screen space. I mean, I read something the other day which talks about kind of at least this year the the life cycle of waking up to a small screen, moving to a medium screen, and then ending up at night <laughs> on a bigger screen. And yeah, it's uh, so sad. It, really. it is. It is, <laughs> and it, it really feels my, my 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 life for the last kind of six months. But um, it's interesting to see that you know using using. Uh, print in combination with that seems to be having a great effect and as you say tactility wise um and and truly just you know providing uh, a completely different perspective on products which let's face it if you're scrolling and you're competing the six competing brands trying to sell you camera bags or gifts and things like that which is the one that's going to actually help you make a purchase it's the one that you've received something through to stand out from the crowd yeah mm-hmm. it's an interesting conversation because i mean i remember at game Every bloody year was the conversation of like, are we going to do a Christmas catalogue? Are we going to yeah. do a gift? Are we going to print anything out? And I'm sure you remember some of those, Richard, um, back yeah. in the day. But it, but but the bigger problem we always had was we couldn't put prices in, which makes renders a catalogue utterly pointless. But that kind of idea, I think, is it is it is that yeah, especially at Christmas, there's a nostalgia thing too. To Jen's point about a Sears catalogue and all that kind of stuff, there is a nostalgia element that i think it plays into it from from your perspective do you think the changes that you've seen through covid i mean this is like a 64 million dollar question but i'd be interested to see whether those persist yes whether people who are running it this year feel like they've got the value and whether they will continue to use it as a complementary channel I, th- I think actually there's a it, we're really early on the journey, and I think we talked about misconceptions earlier. You know, it's going to mm. take a long time uh, to to educate people in, in the balance of get you know getting the balance right in in using print in the mix and, and using it in the right way. It doesn't mean using it in large volumes or spending lots of money on it. It just mm. means using it when the timing's right or the um, the campaign requires it. And I think that looking at some of the patterns, you know, um, people are still going to interact with stuff. Um, at, at home you know you still have to pick it up and do something with it and, and i think the rise of things like uh we have jick mail now which provides a bit of a currency and insight uh on a level with things like tv and, and, and digital would means. you like to explain what jick mail is to the people in this country outside this country might not know or even yeah. within this country might not know. yeah sure so the the issue we've had within printed media is um providing a level of um almost you know, a, a currency almost of um, insight to show response rates and, and interaction with physical medium, because obviously it's easy to track when it comes to digital and therefore it acquires more budget because it's easier to, to invest mm-hmm. in, right? Um, Jigmail's come around and provided um, a balance, uh, a board of people that effectively receive things at home and then they can show what interaction that they've had with the medium. So actually, mm. that's really, really helpful for, for that sort of test and learn strategy. But also, it provides a wealth of data we didn't have before on how people are using physical marketing, right, which we couldn't yeah. track before. Um, so now, actually, the stats we're getting back provides a completely new light on how consumers are interacting with print. And it kind of overcomes a lot of the misconceptions that mm. marketeers maybe have. So it's, yeah. I think, quite powerful. Well, thank you for the for the for the explanation there. In terms of the the sort of innovations that that you think maybe people have that have passed marketers by potentially as they've moved their potentially moved their money away from print or stuff that's coming down the pipe, is there anything that you kind of go, wow, that's cool? 
Like I've not seen that before. You know, what are the sort of things that are sort of to use a colloquial term, floating your boat in the print market? It's a really interesting question because uh, I think sometimes people look at print as this sort of archaic old industry, and it is, right? You know, it goes back hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, I don't actually think innovation is the crux of the problem. I think there's a, you know, getting the basics mastered first and then moving on to innovation seems to be the biggest challenge that we've got. But certainly um, we're never short of good ideas in our industry. I think the issue is that um, if you haven't mastered the basics of, you know, getting campaigns to work for acquisition, <laughs> retention, loyalty, referral um, and yeah. preventing lapsed customers, then you can move on to the really exciting uh, you know, highly complex, personalized, timely campaigns. Um, we've also got something you mentioned earlier about the pricing in catalogs, you know, the ability to be able to scan, uh, you know, whether it's a postcard right the way through to catalogs or packaging and take them directly to a live offer digitally. I think that integration between the two channels is, mm. is something that overcomes a lot of the obstacles with, you know, out-of-date marketing. It takes yeah, you to the latest changes. offer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I mean, Again, price changes lasted like 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> somebody, somebody would move and then it'd be like, oh God, we're going to move everything else. But yeah, so so what you're saying is essentially you've got a way of scanning the price on that thing that you can then go and take, see the, the, the real time price, if you like. Yeah, it's a springboard. Effectively, you use the printer communications as a springboard to take them to the best, um, uh, you know, more instant digital uh, offering. So you kind of get the best of both. And that's, I guess, my mm. message is, you know, it shouldn't be a, a battleground. It should be a best of both. And I think that that technology we've got within print has existed for quite some time i think it's that education piece again of of working with um you know marketeers and brands to give them the best mix of the mm. two i think there's something to be said i don't know if jen would agree with this uh and we talked about this before on the on the discipline of growing up with print printed mail from a from especially from a crm direct marketing perspective and a return on investment perspective um that that actually the cheapness of email or app push or those kind of things has has um, complacency is too strong a word but has I will use it has led some complacency in terms of return on investment and all that kind of stuff. You know, you really had to be super tight with your targeting and really careful about your messaging and all the you know clear about what your response mechanism was and all those kind of things to make to to make print work well. I mean, it did it was great. And if you if you do grow up with print, Jen, am I just really old? Uh, no, I, I would say like when I was in CRM, it was a little bit of a mix of both. I definitely worked on print campaigns, which to your point, I think we take everything seriously, but I, I definitely think you're spending millions and millions of dollars on a direct mail. Cause I was, I was at a very large, like American corporation. So when we would send out a piece of direct mail, it was reserved for very special things because you knew everybody would see it, but also very special things because it was incredibly expensive. But yeah, I think when we were doing the direct mail, and I'm just talking about scale, right? We would send yeah. it to, we had 180 million people, our, our customers, it's quite a few bits of mail. But um, I just remember, yes, taking it much more seriously and saying like, mm. you know, we really have to dial in on exactly who this is going to go to. We have to be really clean with the list and everything. And you would do a, that to a degree, I think, with email. But I think you're right. I think because it's digital, there's a lot of it. it the perception of it can yeah. be that it's like cheap, it's easy to send. So just... It, to, do, to default, you're going to send it. But I feel like always with print, it was like, well, let's let's be really sure and really exact with their targeting. And I think that makes for better marketing regardless. And I think there's a there's a permanence to print that is, yes. that, that is I'll, I'll be honest, when I first signed up my first print campaigns of, when I started with Vodafone, it was terrifying, absolutely yes. <laughs> terrifying. Uh, and there was a horror story. One of my friends, um, 
got one number wrong in a phone number. Oh, God. And it ended up going from like the, the response call center to being like an adult chat line. And the problem with that sort of stuff is you can't recall it. Do you know what I mean? Like with an email, yeah. you, you can, and with print, you can't. I think to your point, though, Jen, you made a really point about if, if I want someone to see, if I want everyone to see it, print's really valuable. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of the stats from, from Rise Again, when I was researching Richard, kind of show that, you know, the likelihood of somebody seeing a piece of, of direct, mar- direct mail versus an email is much higher, you know, because they go into their post box. They're going, you know, whereas sure. you're getting you can't avoid an email. It, it, yeah. 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 And I think yeah, going well, back to your, going back to your point about um, hmm. the risk, I mean, obviously that, that that's based off of, I would say, um, you know, slightly larger, broader generic campaigns. I think some of the data-driven yeah. stuff that we do these days, um, you know, you output the same or similar data that you would from a CRM for a yeah. digital campaign as you would print now. And, you know, we're doing 30, 40 pieces of mm. personalization per piece that are camera matched and sent out. And there's a there's a level of checks and balances that the, the agencies run to, to to avoid that kind of thing. And I think the speed and personalization mm-hmm. that we have now is a lot different to how it was with sort of mass marketing yeah. you know the, so what the you're saying is i'm showing my age <laughs> i'm saying we've come a long That's way what I'm <laughs> yeah but no I, I i do there is there is again i stand by that bit about the discipline you, you i think i think you want to you want to make sure you're getting it right with you want to make sure you get it right with every channel don't get me wrong but i think with, with there was there was something about direct uh, mail and the cost and the and the, the permanence of it that gave you a real discipline that you would then bring to other channels and I, and maybe I'm just being old fashioned in it. It's regard, very deliberate. It's yeah, very mm-hmm. if you, if you're planning a customer journey, it be, it becomes almost such a deliberate marketing message that it makes you really think about the consistency across the other channels. And I think that's why it's so important to integrate it into that mix. And I, I would agree. I think from I think we'll, we'll kind of close this this section off by kind of saying that I think. It's, it is absolutely a tool that has huge value, um, whether it's direct mail, whether it's catalog, whether it's in-store print, whatever it might be, but specifically from my background where I'm you know, from the, the direct mail part of it, it's kind of fallen by the wayside, sadly, and I think that's sad. I think, I think it can be, as you said, integrated with other channels, you know, mail with a, an email follow-up or an app push follow-up. There's different ways you can use it to drive people in store. There's lots of different options now. Um, with print that I think people are neglecting to look at. And I would say, I think you would, you know, don't, why would you throw a tool out of your toolbox to use another Ritson thing? You know, why would you write something off just because it's on a piece, you know, printed rather than not printed? Mm-hmm. Um, what I find fascinating, not only about your companies is obviously where you're going and the success you're having from a, from what you actually do, but, but the ethos behind the company, you know, we've talked about sure. brand purpose on this podcast a few times and i think our our view on it was if you're built with a purpose inherent into you and the way you do business it's great bolting it on when you're (laughs) when you're trying to create a fig leaf of positivity over your brand um not so great but but your brand and the way that you you work it's it's threaded throughout the business. So if I can kind of, the, you know, the, you, you do some research in Vermont, you start to hear phrases like Marxist capitalism and you start to see articles where um, Webmart is listed alongside, in Forbes, no less, is listed alongside Nike, Starbucks and Zoom in a piece uh, about companies putting people above profits, which is extraordinary. Um, I wonder if you could just give us a bit of background into into that ethos and and the and what that means from a webmark perspective. You know what what the sort of beliefs are there. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously the Forbes thing we're extremely proud of because, you know, we're not running, you know, five, six figure marketing budgets. You know, no. we're, 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 you know, um, based in Oxfordshire. We've got a very small team. Um, but I think it comes down to, you know, being authentic. I mean, if it's always been there, then it's easier to be authentic and do the right thing. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, I appreciate there's various, um, I find sort of bandwagons when it comes to sort of, you know, you, you see LinkedIn trends and things like that. Whereas I think if we've always done it, it's always part of our DNA. Um, it's easier to be consistent with the values. And I think that from our perspective, then when you do good with uh, profits or just generally just being a decent human within a business uh-huh. then it isn't questionable or judged based on your prior history if that makes sense and i think that yeah. you know to talk about this sort of marxist capitalism thing i mean it's it really comes down to this concept of enough right i mean yeah. there's a lot of talk at the moment about capitalism being broken and oh, i appreciate obviously there's many other models out there um we've always based our business off the principle of enough and capitalism to raise profits like any you know successful mm-hmm. business and marxism to distribute those profits fairly and mm. i think you know that that kind of uh, concept of enough allows us to reduce our consumption footprint our environmental footprint our financial greed and effectively you know we've all got one planet one allocation mm-hmm. of resources and I feel that the model we've had, you know, even right through to this year where we've been able to do good for our community, our uh, suppliers, you know, we paid them early when everyone else was freaking out about what to do. Um, yeah, the seven days of invoice or something like that. Yeah, so just as a uh, COVID sort of kicked off, um, we paid all of our uh, key suppliers on on seven days uh, to keep, you know, and, and that, that was out of our cash reserves because we've been putting money into the bank before we've uh, distributed it you know we, we've we haven't paid out huge um you know debt we haven't got debts or sh- you know shareholder issues or anything like that we've just basically done the right thing put money in the bank over time and then we distribute any surplus profits effectively so um so even uh, up until last week i mean you know we're in a global pandemic we're just we're just paying out a profit share bonus uh to to all of our employees um cool. and that's something that I mean, I look at, you know, John Lewis cancelling theirs for the first time since 53. Mm. Um, you know, you look at our model and I just start to think that, you know, we it, maybe it's not perfect, but we're on to something. No, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, General Rollerise, even though I can't see it, I'm sure she will, because of the, <laughs> the, the Bill Burnback quote that I bang on about all the time, which is a principle isn't a principle until it costs you something. Oh, totally. You know, you didn't have to pay those people within seven days. You don't, you know, yeah, some of the things that you didn't have to pay a bonus, you could not have mm. done. Um, but it was, it's the principle, therefore you do it, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, if anything out of this year, if we can weather the storm this year, not make a financial loss, pay out suppliers early, um, you know, keep customer marketing flowing and, and pay, pay the staff fairly, uh, as mm-hmm. well as the ecosystem that we, we operate as a business, um, then it's a great place to be. And, and yeah, it comes, at, you know, you have to, you know, you're, we're facing, the unknown back in the you know the time when we were making these decisions uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people did very different things from looking looking around and i guess the other thing i would probably add in there is empathy um mm. you know i know maybe i'm throwing maybe a few too many ceos under the bus with this but you know it's not a trait <laughs> desired out of great leadership it, it seems in the past you know you mm-hmm. want a tenacious leader you want someone that's going to maybe be a bit more polarizing and actually you know whilst um 
the you know this sort of empathetic approach is maybe seen as a little bit more calm and overlooked mm-hmm. actually it's the sort of thing that i think that needs to be built into business dna you get you get so much further uh you know through using empathy in decision making and you know your business values effectively i think it's generally thoughts been the past about we're all well this is my perspective i'm not going to put this on gender it's like making a profit is great maximizing a profit leads to problems Yes, and I think so. I think that 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 and 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 for those who the um, your CEO did a, a TED talk, well TEDx talk recently, didn't he? And and I'll link that as well because he kind of expands on this philosophy a little bit in a little bit more detail. Um, how do you maintain the culture from a sort of recruitment perspective, from an onboarding perspective? You know what what it sounds terrible because what you do is is a little different. So how do you maintain that culture? through you know internal engagement and and all that kind of stuff with your with your teams yeah sure so i mean we've we've tried to stick to our values and and like you say you know sometimes that comes at a a great thought over decisions um uh rather than making just really swift decisions we 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 try to base it across the values and, and and be as consistent as possible when we uh recruit people in we tend to do it through um, you know, heavily through referral, we we tend to do it in house. We spend a long time uh, deliberating over any uh, new hires, and mm-hmm. we have a really uh, close onboarding process, which effectively allows us to uh, compare the values of the person alongside the talent. You know, we've got a lot of um, experienced people working for us. Some some that have come client side, some from agency side, uh, or supplier side, and 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 that mixture, that diversity, really helps us equally. You know, we have a very diverse team in terms of age. I think we have a extreme, probably the youngest management team in in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, bringing up talent, you know, like myself, I'm sure Simon, mm-hmm. our CEO, uh, spotted me young age and, and sort of invested in in me. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, um, it's the same goes for for many of our team as well. You know, we have a balance of sort of homegrown uh, talent from from a younger age, apprenticeships, etc. Mm-hmm. And I think that getting that balance right that's enabled us to have people that are our culture through and through as well as bringing people on that kind of journey that share the same vision you know do good with profits effectively and does it manifest itself in sort of kpis and assessment you know sort of yearly assessments and all that kind of stuff as well yeah i mean we've yeah we've had i mean we've had um we have our anonymous kind of biannual surveys that we use Mm -hmm. to kind of uh bring out just feedback around around the team but we've also got everything from measuring happiness in the office and we put that on the website and various other ways that we try to capture um the essence of the culture and um that's really you know these those tiny little things all add up to the greater kind of vision that we have okay good because it's interesting we, we talk a lot about kind of customer centric sacrifice like which basically means i'm prepared to forego short-term profits for doing the right thing yeah. by our customers essentially um and it seems like that's the kind of thing that that you you know you would you would say no to a short-term buck to kind of <laughs> if it went completely against your ethics and that's that's an interesting that's the reason i was asking the question is because we are conditioned to talk you know money money more revenue more revenue mm. it must be an interesting conversation with somebody who's, say a salesperson who's coming from the outside to your company and then you said well actually let's weigh this up a little bit differently it must be quite yeah. a culture shock for some people yeah absolutely and i think um you know they have to have a huge degree of trust to make that leap with their career i guess um mm. we've had a few that have made that that leap and it's, it's paid off really really well and i think the it is a very different uh, operation and i think that there are times that we have to turn things down you know 
commercial opportunities because mm -hmm. they just don't fit and rather than trying to push water uphill you know it makes sense for us to continue on our path and, and work with people that do share the same um values and, and and sometimes you know you don't get that right and we're not going to maybe um take the commercial gain just for going against our principles because as you said earlier you know you've got to stand for something and and, and we're mm. happy to happy to stand on those morals basically cool well look we also uh like to give uh, our guests the opportunity to uh well shill's the wrong word but from a webmark perspective <laughs> you know it, where do you see webmark? What's the kind of evolution of webmark? Where where do you guys uh, and girls and go next? What's the next sort of sort of evolution of where webmark's going? Yeah, sure. So I mean, from our perspective, you know, we're we're effectively moving to this fully integrated marketing model with you know customer experience from letterbox to online events to an experiential to in store experience for click and collect and browsing to mm. mobile purchases so i think it's just kind of that full integration of of marketing from our perspective to to overlap with what people are doing so well out there and and, and helping them with maybe a weakness um and, and overlapping it and i think also just kind of if we can enable brands to own their customer relationship and compete with some of the larger retail sort of bmofs out there um mm. to become you know a compelling alternative and, and allow our customers to become a compelling alternative uh for you know doing their christmas shopping or seasonal purchases etc mm. um and i think that's kind of you know that's our vision um if we can continue to do good with our profits and distribute the wealth fairly then we'll do better um in in you know the economy social impact environmental impact um so yeah i mean i guess if you want me to do a plug <laughs> um, <laughs> which it sounds you know, like you're, you're waiting for fine. the plug no no i'm just you know i'm just <laughs> giving you a safe place yeah i mean I'll, I'll check it out there so if you're if you're missing out on integrating and connecting your online journey with physical marketing get in touch we'll offer up some suggestions to get better results if you're already doing it but you want us to challenge it get in touch i'm sure we can tell you something you didn't know we'll find a better way of doing it or if you want to do just a little bit of good in the world this is part of what we were saying earlier about the culture mm -hmm. just go on our website play the little charity game oh, the, the game. winner yes. and the winner uh there's top five winners we're going to be donating to a charity of your choice so there's no harm if you've got lots of time on your hands at the moment go on and play the game and we'll do a bit of good with the money um yeah to prove a point <laughs> anybody who hasn't played it it's kind of like an endless runner slash jumping game isn't it essentially yeah and it's just the longer it's just, you go the more yeah. points you earn it's just a fun little flash game on webmarks website which we will uh absolutely link to and then so finally from my perspective what's what do you think is going to be the biggest barrier in going from where you are now to that situation what is it is it perception of who webmart are the history of what webmart you know the print thing what what's going to be the biggest barrier do you think from your perspective Ooh, that's a really good question, that one. Uh, I would say it's overcoming the misconceptions. I think our industry's had this sort of draw, been drawn into a bit of a, you know, this versus that. And I think the, the misconceptions on the environment and the perception of kind of, oh, save the trees, when actually we have renewable sources for a lot of our stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, digital waste is going to become a huge topic over the next 10 years uh, and the, the, the carbon footprint of that. So... I think the misconceptions around environment, cost, ROI to the channel and, and sort of reestablishing that kind of education and knowledge 
from from a very different perspective, you know, f- from a more modern modern day sort of approach to what we do. Um, that's going to be something that we find probably the most difficult is, you know, we're, we're going against the tide almost in terms of education. Um, I, I don't know where you can actually learn these skills anymore outside of picking up the phone to your agency and being supported by them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's probably it. Okay. And as one of the, actually, I lied. I've got one other question. In oh, terms of bonus. the way, because obviously you're print management and, and you're working with different suppliers, mm. do you have sort of a code of conduct for those suppliers? that say, you, I will only work with you if you're doing X, Y, and Z from a sustainability perspective or, or those kind of things? Yeah, so Is we there have, like a webmark code of conduct? Yeah, yeah. so we have like a, a fair trading agreement. Um, so we publish it on the website. We, we're really open with it. Uh, there's no hidden rebates or anything like that. It's all it's all publicated up there. And you know, a big part of what we're doing with um, moving towards our vision uh, and the time I'm spending with our supplier category management team is is educating the suppliers on where we're going the the kind of uh approach that we need to take as an industry and hopefully taking our suppliers on that journey and and kind of showing them a different way a different perception of of how they can run a business we're not forcing uh everybody to follow the webmark model but certainly if we can say we we are able to do good if we succeed then would you like to come with us on that journey and help us empower us it's so important we're you know supported by our suppliers to do this gotcha well look i've covered a lot of ground there um thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to us unless jen you had anything else you wanted to no to i think that's great i i've learned a ton um i think richard thank you so much for coming on mm. um and, and kind of sharing your knowledge and, and expertise You're and welcome. i feel like this is this i will i think you know selfishly not to put down any other guests but i've, I've really enjoyed this is definitely one of my like top one percent interviews that we've done wow. so thank you i'll take that <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, thank you very much for your time richard uh much appreciated You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So that's it for this episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find show notes, resources, and more episodes on our website, everybodyhatesyourbrand.com. But before we go, let's leave on a positive note. Let's share what we're loving right now. So Rob, what you got this week? Well, I think it's time for self-reflection. Oh. So, and obviously it was a really a good and, and lengthy interview, so we don't want to go on for too long. Yes. The thing I would like to say is uh, this is the 20th Yay. episode of Everybody Hates Your Brand. 20 episodes. I find extraordinary that we made it to 20, which uh, I'm very proud of. I hope you are as well. Mm-hmm. And I uh, just want to say thank you to everybody who's, uh, who's downloaded and listened and contributed yes. and been interviewed and all those kind of things. We really, yes. We really everybody who's reached it. out, who said that they love the podcast, like all of our, I don't, I don't want to say fans because that seems really self. Yeah, we don't have. <laughs> no, but yeah. there, we do have people that reach out all the time that say like, hey, we really are enjoying listening to the podcast. So thank yeah. you to those people. Thank you for, even if you haven't reached out and said anything, if you're just enjoying it, listening to it every once in a while, we appreciate you. And we would not have made it to 20 episodes without you. So thank you very much. Well, you did it. You've wasted another perfectly good half an hour or so with Rob and Jen and Richard and the Everybody Hates Your Brand podcast. Again, you can find us on everybodyhatesyourbrand.com and your podcast platform of choice. Have a week. Take great, great, can be vigilant.